0: Praise God. Welcome everyone today. We're so glad that you are with us, worshiping with us today. If you are a guest with us, we're so thankful that you have chosen to come and worship with us in our gathering this morning. Praise God. It's wonderful to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. Praise God. Let's just clap our hands unto the Lord one more time. Let's give praise to Jesus. He is worthy. Amen? Praise God. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. Amen. Praise God. One day my, uh, one day I'm believing, we're not there yet, but one day I believe in Jesus name, we're going to get to prayer and praise with the same fervency as we get to fellowship. (laughs) And one day I hope we just say, let's just worship the Lord and we just can't get everybody's attention because the moment you say, let's, let's just Greet one another. My goodness, <laughs> got to rein it back in. But man, one day we're going to get there. We say, let's just worship the Lord. I remember when I was a child, we went to Prayer Mountain in South Korea, and I was a—I was probably—I had to been—I couldn't have been more than five years old, so I wasn't old enough to really understand what's going on. But I was old enough to understand. That the experience of this moment was not normal. And we went to Prayer Mountain. Young E. Cho's church was praying. And there was... When you told those people to pray, they prayed. And they prayed with such fervency. The only way to get them to stop praying was they had a giant bell that they would have to ring. And that was the only way to stop. Because if you just told them to stop, they wouldn't stop. And it was like the... You ever, I don't know if you have the opportunity, but if you ever stood next to Niagara Falls and the roar of Niagara Falls is so loud you can barely hear the person next to you when they're speaking, their prayer was such at a crescendo. I mean, this was not like, I mean, these people prayed with a fervency and a, and a thunderous sound. And we're not talking about 10 or 15. There's thousands of people. And the only way they could get them to stop praying was a bell. So one day, we're going to have a church bell. Not to announce the hour, but it's a necessity because we will be so fervent about the power and the presence of God that we'll have to ring the bell. Amen? Wouldn't that be awesome? Hey, we can all have faith. Don't knock my faith. Huh? Don't, don't, don't knock my faith. I believe it. One day, in Jesus' name. Praise God. I want to kind of, I'm, I'm believing today, and I say this with a, with with a clause in the contract. There's always a clause in the contract that says God has the prerogative prerogative to change His mind or change direction at any time. So I say that this has a clause in the contract. I, I'm I believe today that the Lord is going to. Um, Sort of bring this vein of thought that we 've been in the last couple of weeks uh, to a close today, and we 're going to sort of look at the totality of the last month um, i i 'm not a big series guy i 'm not saying that 's good or bad I just that 's not something I really try to go to the Lord every week with a open mind fresh to what He wants to say, but sometimes the Lord keeps us on a vein for a while, and it kind of turns into a series. And so this is really been a series the last month about being connected to Jesus. We started off um, the first week talking about the water bottles in your bag that keep you from being able to be connected to Jesus. And then we talked about, are you a hose or a bucket? So hopefully now, every time you go into Walmart or Home Depot and you see a bucket or a hose, you can be pricked in your heart, am I a bucket or a hose? And remember, one of the biggest things that difference between people who are buckets and people who are hoses is that hoses, you don't feel any pressure when you're holding a the hose. There's no work. It just Your job is just to hold the hose. And then finally, last week, we talked about the branch and crooked and connected. But I want to bring us back again to the central part of this whole entire discussion, and that has been John chapter 15. I'm going to read it one more time. These are the first eight verses of John chapter 15. Jesus says this, if you have a red letter Bible, you will notice that this entire, um, all, almost all, all of John 15 is in red. Uh, that is in no way to mean that these words are more important than others. It's just the fact that it's your Bible is letting you know that Jesus is speaking. I am the vine, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit itself unless you unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Who He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them in the fire, and they are burned. We talk a lot about heaven and hell, but Jesus just gave us the really simplicity of, how do I keep from going to hell? Got to stay connected. Pretty much she's simply saying there. The people that aren't connected. They're going to wither. be Cast in the fire. Be burned. If you abide in me. And my words abide in me, you, You will ask what you will. And what you desire. And it will be done. For you. But this. My father. By this my father is glorified. That you bear much fruit. So. Will you be my disciples? I want you again to understand. I I said this two weeks ago. I might have said it last week if I remember. But I want you to understand the importance of the context of John chapter 15. Not that it makes it any more important than any other scripture in the Bible. But I believe that the context of John 15 really lends itself for us to make sure that we really pay attention to what Jesus is saying. Um, It's sort of like if you walked into the room of someone who is dying, and they whispered to you to come closer, and they gave you their dying words, you would pay attention more to those words than you would in just normal conversation. doesn't mean those words are any more important. It just means because of the context of the situation, Those words carry much greater weight. So you have to understand that these words in John chapter 15, the weight of that moment, Jesus had just washed the feet of his disciples. He had led them through the final meal, which we call the last supper. He had led them through this meal. He had instituted this breaking of bread. This is my body. This is my blood. This is all sort of taking place. And now they are walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the moment, okay? We, we, we've got to look at this. Is the, this is a very pivotal, sobering, eternity-shifting moment. And he is leading this group to the Garden of Gethsemane, where in just a few moments after he gives us these words, he's going to be an agony and prayer where it gets to the point where his body breaks down to where the Bible says he begins to sweat great drops of blood. So this is the moment. And, 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 and just a little while after this, he's going to be arrested. And, and by the time the sun finds its way to the noon hour the next day, he will be hanging on a tree. So this is the moment. John 15. This is the, this is the, this is the weight of John 15. Jesus understands the timetable. The disciples still hadn't kind of realized the grasp of the moment. They're still trying to fight with the idea that, you know, Lord, we got your back. You know, Peter's still in the moment where he's still trying to figure out a way to help Jesus out. Trust me, Jesus doesn't need you to help him out. Rule number one of following Jesus, he doesn't need your help. He's got it. And so this is that moment. This is the timetable. And so with this, I believe that every word that Jesus is speaking, there is only a few hours left where He can communicate. Because the next moment after this, He has got to go pray and finally put His flesh on the cross. Put His will on the cross Notice that his will was on the cross before his flesh was on the cross. He has to go to this moment. So these are the last few things he's able to tell his disciples. The men that have spent three plus years with him. The men upon which the whole weight of the new church is going to wait and to rest. It was the, it was the men by which he looked at Peter and said, upon this rock, I will build my church. So I believe at this point in time that every word that is coming out of his mouth carried thunderous weight. Every word that was coming out of his mouth, the, 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 the weight and the context of the moment led to a to, to every word being perfectly scripted. And so as they're walking into this garden it's a garden it's 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 a garden and there's things that are happening in this garden there's there's olive trees but there's also grapes and and at this time of year there is this the grapes are beginning to sort of come blossom we're, we're getting into the passover time of year it's it's, it's starting to get springtime. And so winter is now becoming a distance. And so that which laid dormant is now starting to breed life. And so this is the context. And, 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 and Jesus was a visual type of teacher. He was a storyteller. He often used the objects around him to be able to tell a story. And so I, I'm just speculating here that as they're walking through this, They're, they're surrounded by vines. This not just, they're not hanging out by the campfire. There's no, this is not a desert place. They're, they're surrounded by vines. They're surrounded by an area where, where people had taken meticulous attention and care to make sure that the vines that were around them at that garden entrance were able to produce Fruit. And so I can imagine for for just a moment here that as Jesus begins to read and speak, he read begins to speak as we read John 15, I imagine that he was probably gesturing with his hands at the vines that were around him. Because he was trying to, to, to make a correlation with these men that were about to face the greatest trial. Don't forget, it was right at the end of John. We read John 15, but go back to the last part of John 14. I believe that was the last part where Jesus, Peter said, I want to go where you're going. He goes, you're not going where I'm going. In fact, I'm going to let you know you're going to deny me. This is the context of this, okay? This is the way, and he's walking with these men, and, and Jesus already knows in his heart and his spirit, he already knows the end from the beginning, so he knows the next day what lies ahead. He looks at them, and he points out and says, hey, look at these vines. Look at these vines. And he starts the entire point with, I and the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. You see, sometimes I think we lose sight of where we are. And we lose sight of some things that are very important. There was, a, there was an older lady. She was, a, she was a widow. And so she had been watching the news. And the news was telling about a crime wave that was sweeping the area so she was on high alert she went to the grocery store one day and as she left the grocery store with her cart full of groceries she's approaching the car and she looks and with alarm she sees four men sitting in the car but she had become prepared for this, she had been watching the news she was ready, so with a shaking hand she reached into her purse and pulled out her gun pointed at these guys and said get out the car the guy's panicked and scrammed out of the car. She's shaking. She gets in the car and and she's starting to to try to put the key into the ignition to start it. And her hands are shaking and she can't seem to do it. And, and this goes on for a few minutes and she's just, this is a, a panicky moment. Finally, she whoo, takes a deep breath, tries it again, didn't work. And she's thinking, oh my goodness, now what's happening? And in that moment, she finally collects her thoughts enough to look, over and realizes a couple of cars over from where she sits, there was a car that had the same color and looked a lot like this car. (laughs) She began to look around and realize this is not my car. (laughs) So she gets out and reluctantly puts her groceries in her car and decides, well, this is not good. She drives herself down to the Police station to turn herself in, and she walks into the sergeant on duty at the desk and "I to report a crime." He said, "What happened?" He said, "She said, I uh, I stole a car." He bust out laughing. He looked. He, he pointed this way. He looked out, and those four men were sitting in the police station shaking. And they said, "Well, they just came in to report that a senior citizen just carjacked them." The point of the story is this, is that sometimes we can get so caught up in our own fear and our own world and our own way of thinking that we forget what belongs to us. We forget our surroundings. We forget the context of things. And so in this moment, I believe that the disciples were so caught up in the fact that Jesus said that this temple is going to be teared down and we're going to build it up in three days and I'm kingdoms coming, that they were so caught up in the moment that they missed the true essence of what Jesus was saying. Because the first thing that happens in John 15 is this, the vineyard belongs to God. The vineyard belongs to God. There's no mistaking the principle. He started it off with this. I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. Before you go any farther, let's get this straight. I own the vineyard you're growing in. It belongs to me. It's not your choice. It's not your call. It's not your decision. The vineyard belongs to me. The problem is, as this is one of the core issues of all that we do. We can talk about prayer. We can talk about all the things that we, we talk about in this, in this Christian walk that we are part of, the discipleship journey. But bottom line, here's one of the crux of the matters for all of us. There's a two-year-old in every one of us. It's amazing to me one of the first words that children learn are no they just learn it no mine when that little two-year-old gets their fingers on something all of a sudden now they don't understand anything but They understand that this belongs to me and the ownership belongs to me. It doesn't matter to them if it's mom's favorite bowl or piece of trash. It's mine. Belongs to me. It's amazing to watch a two-year-old, how a two-year-old can grab a hold of something and suddenly there's ownership. And then the problem is, especially if you've raised multiple children and you watch the interaction of two children When one wants what the other has. Suddenly blood doesn't matter. Relationship doesn't matter. Friendship. You've got what I want. And the other one's saying, yeah, but it's mine. It's crazy to think about it. If you really look at it, children don't understand responsibility. They don't understand time. They don't really understand earnings and value and all that stuff. But immediately they understand possession. Possession. Children don't really understand even consequences of their actions. But they understand possession. Why? Because there's a two-year-old in all of us. And guess what? Just because they turn three doesn't mean that leaves. And just because they turn 30 doesn't mean that leaves. Or 50 or 70. That's still in all of us. Because how many of us have taken that same mind that we had at two-year-old and turned that to God and say, Wait a minute, God. This is mine. You can't take my health. It's mine. You, you, you can't bring sickness to me because you're taking my health. And the health belongs to me. It's mine. That's my good health. I don't want that disease. I, I don't want to feel this way. I, I don't want to do the surgery. I don't want to have all these treatments. Because why? Because it's mine. God, this money's mine. I don't want you to tell me how to spend it. I don't want to tell me where I could give it or not give it. Why? Because it's mine. Why do, you think God, why do you think Jesus spent so much time? And this is not a money sermon, so just calm down, panic. I, every time you say the word money, people break out in a sweat. <laughs> but you know what's crazy is we avoid things that are the biggest in factors of our world, our life. Let's be honest, money is the driving force of 99.9 of you in this room. And if you say, well, it's not for me, then just stop going to work. Oh, yeah. well, I'm not a money person, fine. Well, then quit your job. You don't need money, fine. Why do you get up every Monday morning when you don't feel like it? Why is the fact you'll skip church, but you won't skip work? <laughs> just screwed that in there, you see that? you see me? I was, woo, woo, boo, you weren't even ready for that, dude, watch out now, woo, got that Muhammad Ali coming on me, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, why, why is that the case, why is it the case if, you're, if we're not about money? Why we will skip church if we think we're going to? Oh, I think I got a sniffle next week. I may prepare a rest for next week's sniffle. But we will drag our de- half dead carcass to work on Monday morning at seven a.m. hacking and coughing, going in the bathroom to puke because we can't miss work. Why? Because of this stuff right here. So before you get on your high horse, well, I'm not a money person. Fine. But why did Jesus talk about money? Because we see the effort we put in to getting that money. And therefore, it belongs to me. And what I do with it belongs to me. We deal with things. It's mine, mine. I've watched young people. I dealt with it growing up. I deal. I see with young people deal struggle with their future because that future is mine. And so, God, I want to do this, and God, I want to do that. You can, God, because it's, it's mine, mine, mine. Because really, it's about this whole idea that this two-year-old. I mean, I'm, I'm just gonna. We're just digging deep into it. Might as well dig the hole a little deeper. I've watched some struggle with, but God, that was my church. I liked the idea of where we used to be. I liked it when we all kind of had what we do. I've given time and effort and all, this, all of my energy and money to this church and now they're breaking it up into groups and now we're here and we're there. We don't even have a building. Why? Because it's mine. But he said, I am the vine dresser. From the very moment that, he brought, that Moses brought down the, the tablets off the mountain, God established that I am God and you're not. I'm a jealous God. Don't put anything before me. I'm not going to tolerate and bless your life if anything is in front of me in your life. You can fool me. You can fool your neighbor. You can even fool yourself, but you can't fool God. We were talking about this this morning on the way over here about the fact that that that. God sometimes just wants to know you're willing. We were dealing with some personal situations in our life. And, and we were talking about and sort of giving God praise about how God has done some things. But we, we looked back on the journey and we said a lot of times it appeared as if God was, we were going in a different direction. And, and we told God, whatever you want. And we were willing to do that. But we said that, you know what? We actually meant it. We didn't just say it, we meant it. It's sort of like the Abraham and the Isaac situation. Abraham didn't say, sure God, I'll, I'll, take, I'll kill Isaac, fine. He actually had to lift that knife above his head with the intent of going down that the angel of God had to stop it. That's how far God is going to take you. If you think you can get out of where you're at just by saying, sure God, he's going to put you to the test to see if you're willing to really say, okay God. Because God's not fooled by your bluffing. He's not fooled by your rhetoric. He really wants to know, do you mean what you say? But God, I, I don't, I don't want to give God that opportunity. What if he asks me to do it? It doesn't work that way. We don't want to say, God, whatever you want to do, wherever you want me to work, wherever you want me to live, I'm willing to do that. Because what if God makes me move places I don't want to move? Or work somewhere I don't want to work? I mean, I'm just living the way it is, right? When I was growing up, One of the big things, we were always is you need to marry the will of God. And I remember thinking, God, but what if I marry somebody that I think is ugly? You're laughing, it's true. And I remember, I'm like 16 years old, sweating bullets, like, my goodness, what if the will of God for me, I mean, I mean, what if? We're laughing, that's how we think about the will of God. You know, it's like waking up in the morning and, and you look at your, your wife and you go, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, but she's the will of God. Praise God. <laughs> I thought that way growing up. I thought if I asked God who you're married, I mean, I'm going to be like, oh, God, oh, oh, I go fast and pray today. But God didn't do that. God gave me the most beautiful woman in the world, but the bottom line is he had to be willing. Are you willing to do whatever it takes before I give you what you want? Why? Because he wants to test that two-year-old inside of you. I said this when we were doing an a Disciple. I'll say it again. We we knock kids that pitch fits. But let's be honest. Adults is just more sophisticated at pitching fits than teenagers we just get better at hiding them but we still pitch fits we still take our you know it's just forgive me my my, my children won't have to just live with it with you know taking a kid to walmart or target is like not navigating the gauntlet of their will because they don't understand why they can't have every cereal in the aisle they don't understand the fact we have five boxes of cereal at home, all of them have cereal, but they don't understand why they can't think of that sixth choice. And when their mother says no cereal and their world is coming to an end, but we've got to have Cocoa Puffs because I want Cocoa Puffs. And the Rice Krispies at home or the whatever, the Cheerios, but this Cocoa Puffs, it's Cocoa Puffs. Can we please have Cocoa Puffs? Cocoa Puffs? It's like you're standing in the aisle going... How did my life go wrong? <laughs> Seriously, what did I do, Lord? That This is what my life... I am a grown man arguing with my child over cereal. Why? Because to them, they want cocoa puffs. They don't understand the fact that they don't need it. They don't understand the fact that at the end of every meal, why we can't have ice cream at the end of every meal. It's like a national tragedy that calls for some kind of general assembly of Congress and the Senate when we say no to ice cream at the end of the meal. Are you kidding me? No ice cream? You mean to tell me I ate all of my vegetables and there was nothing on the end of the stick to make it worth the vegetables? You're right. There wasn't. We look at that and go, in. I'm not like that. But you just let God bring things in your life that don't go according to your plan. But God, I wanted Cocoa Puffs! God's like, no, we, I've given you what you need. Why? Because you know what? In every one of us, he's still working on that two-year-old. Because you know Why? We can't find our purpose without realizing our place. I'm going to run that back to you because some of you missed it and you need to hear it. You can't find your purpose until you realize your place. Your place is he owns the vineyard. Come on. Obviously in a vineyard the branch doesn't tell the vine what to do. On a farm, the plants don't tell the farmer how to get the job done. Can you imagine the plant telling the farmer, No, I'll do it my way. No, because the farmer knows what's best for the plant and cultivates, works, cuts, removes, fertilizers, waters, covers, sprays for very good reason. And a good plant simply trusts the farmer. Truly, I've got to be honest with you, there is no harder principle to live by than this principle. Why? Because most of us are complete control freaks. This is hard stuff, I know, but this is life-changing stuff right here, folks. We all want to talk about God's got it, He's in control. But He can't be in control if you're in control. You can't walk by faith. If you're trying to manipulate everything around you, you can't walk in trust. Come on, let's be honest. Four adults get in a car. At least three of those adults think they should be driving or they think they could drive better. It's just the way it is. Come on, let's be honest. Every wife helps their husband drive and every husband helps their wife drive. It's just—it's a part of the marriage contract. It's way, way down. Page 932, paragraph B, in very tiny letters. I have the right to help you drive. It's just what happens. Doesn't matter you've been driving for 25 years and never got one accident. We need help. My dad, God bless his soul, 74 years old. Dad, I'm a 40-year-old grown man, basically. He's still helping me drive. My mom says all the time, Chester... He's a man. He got this. My dad's like, watch your speed, son. Watch over there. Watch that. I'm like, I mean, I needed it when I was 15. You were teaching me how to drive. I'm 40 years old. I think I've got this now, dad. Appreciate your help. He can't help himself. Not because he doesn't, he's doing it out of spite, but that's just what happens, right? Why? When you get back to the spiritual idea of bearing fruit. Biggest problem we've got to be fruit bearers is that God demands. Everybody say demands. God demands that you give up control. This is the problem. You, When you go down in that water and his name is called over you, you have given up the right to be in control. Sorry, I'm just telling you that now. Should have read the contract. You can't unbaptize yourself. What's done is done. But the moment you went in that water and the blood of Jesus was called over you and the name was applied to your life and you came out of that and we were all jumping and shouting that old things passed away. Behold, all things new. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus through baptism. Woo! That's just to cover up the fact the contract states you are no longer your own. You don't have a choice. You don't have a right. Right? Because why? Because he has designed you to bear fruit and the Lord demands you to give up control. There's no option. You and I have no more right to tell God how to do his job than a plant has the right to tell the farmer how to do his job. So some of you today, that's bad news. Some of us today, it's like, you know what? You come to the end of yourself. You're like, thank God, I'll give you control because I'm messing it up. Lord, I give. But some of you still haven't come to that revelation. You're fighting. And so when you say give up control, there's a part of you and says, I'm not giving up control. No, you don't say that out loud, but in your heart, your actions, your spirit. Some of us are coming to the end of ourselves. We're like, you know what? I'm giving up. That's why I made the statement before, and I'll say it again. You are no more you're at the most spiritual level you can be at when you finally utter the words, I give up. When you can utter the words, I give up, that means you are at the peak of spiritual ascension because you're finally given the point where it's not you, it's God. But here's the beauty of it. If you give up control, the good news is that means you don't have to carry the weight of being in control. Have you ever seen a stressed out plant? You ever walk through the garden center at Home Depot and just see all these plants stressed out? You ever seen them stressed about where they're going to get their water to grow? Are you seeing these plants stressed out where they're going to get their food? Are you seeing these plants stressed out the fact that they're growing one way and their neighbors growing the other way? No, because they have given up control. I'm going to say this, and I'll just step on out there. But if you've got pressure and stress in your life today, that is an alarm bell that you may want to look at who's in control. And when you go drive home today, just take a gander at the trees. Last week we talked about crooked and connected, and some of you are telling me the fact now you're seeing trees differently. So just take a tree and go and say, is that tree stressed out? Is that plant stressed out? No. Some of you are so stressed. You live under so much stress. Why? Because ultimately it comes down to control. Why is this important? It's this. God wants as much fruit as possible out of your life. Jesus did not stutter. In eight verses... He said six times in eight verses the phrase bear fruit or bear much fruit. Six times in eight verses at the most pivotal moment of his entire ministry, he uttered the words six times in eight verses bear fruit, bear fruit, bear fruit, bear, fruit. bear fruit. Fruit, bear fruit, bear fruit. Bear fruit. If I said it that six times in a a 30, 40 minute message, you would remember that. But he said it six times in less than eight sentences. Bear fruit. Why? Because his desire in your life, if you are walking with him and submitted to him, his desire for you is to bear as much fruit as possible. In your life. So the question we come down to is this. Are we bearing fruit in our life? Because you know why bearing fruit is a lifelong effort. A lot of times, especially in the past, we've only talked about bearing fruit in the revenue of evangelism. How many people are you bringing to the Lord. But ultimately, I believe bearing fruit has a greater context than who you're bringing to church. I believe bearing fruit goes greater than that. Yes, there might be a product of your life that bearing fruit in your life will reach and touch people. But that's not the goal. The goal is the fruit of your life. Is there love? Is there joy? Is there peace? Is there long suffering? Are these things evident in your life? Is there fruit from the things that God has placed in your life? Where is your fruit? The Bible says many times, you shall know them by your, by their fruit. It's amazing how much we desire in our own life to be productive. We desire, we're willing to go through a lot of things if there's production out of it. I read a Study that a, a a psychologist did. You might appreciate this. Our resident psychologist here. He'll help. He'll he'll, he'll help. He might have read the study. This is that there was a uh, a, a, a psychologist in a study. They brought a lumberjack that spent all day chopping down trees. They said, "Listen, we'll pay you double what you make." But here's the thing. I want you to turn that axe over. Use the blunt end. And we want you to beat on this log all day. And so. He said sure. I'll give it a shot. And so. He started it. And started beating on that log. And about half day's work. He put down his axe and quit. Said this ain't worth the money. And the psychologist said. Why are you leaving? Because he said. To me, if the chips aren't flying, there's nothing worth swinging this axe for. In all of us, there's this desire to be productive. There's a desire to have something come of our life. But the problem is, we think we can figure that out. But when we give ourselves to the vine dresser, when we understand the vineyard does not belong to me, that my job is simply to connect to the vine as a branch, to be connected to the vine and be completely submitted to the vine and give up control. There's such a production of my life that comes out of it. Because why? Jesus didn't just simply command that we bear fruit. What? He gave us the promise of the Holy Ghost and the gifts of the Holy Ghost to be fruit bearers in our lives. Every single one of us his desire is that we maximize the fruit of our lives. Titus 3:14 says our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. One translation says to maintain good works in order that we may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. Psalms three says, He, the righteous man, is like a tree planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Do you know, I think all of us desire to be fruit bearers but ultimately bearing fruit requires a commitment to Jesus a commitment to the journey of discipleship no plant casually produces maximum fruit every plant that produces fruit takes meticulous care, planning, pruning. Why would you think that to produce more fruit out of a plant, you'd come and you would chop things off or things out of it? Somewhere along the line, somebody discovered that if I want more growth out of this plant, I'm actually going to have to take some things out of it so it can produce some things in it. I don't understand some things in God's timing and the way God does it. But you know what? As a plant, it's not my job. My job is to stay connected to the vine. My job is to stay connected to Him. It's not my job as a plant to tell the farmer how to do his job. In every vineyard, if you look around... Every garden, there's an opportunity to be discouraged. Because in every garden, there's weeds, there's insects, there's junk, disease, everything. Everything in a garden that's hanging around can produce or can can take away the idea of healthy fruit. But when you have a vine dresser who can see the end from the beginning who knows the outcome before the journey even begins, if you would simply trust in Him and give up control of Him. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. When you play tug-of-war with God, you always win. That was one of the simplest revelations the Lord had given me several years ago. Because, I'm, you know, we're thinking we're playing tug of war with God, and, well, we're tug of war, and, and, and you know, but I realize if I'm playing tug of war with God, I'm always going to win. But in this case, winning is losing. God's not going to fight you for control. God's not trying to play the game. I used this a couple weeks ago. Use it again. God's not trying to play the game of musical chairs with you. You know, the game where everybody always gets that last chair. No matter when you stop the music, you always get one right cheek and one left cheek from a person on there fighting for control. Usually somebody, a third party, has to, okay, they got more of their cheek on there than you. They're the winner. God's not into that game. If you think you're going to share. The throne of your life with God, and you can get your cheek on it, and you see, because here's the point. Where what do we here's how most people want their relationship with God. God, I want to be in control and I want you hanging around so when I mess up, you can go fix it. And then when you get it all fixed and get everything back the way it's supposed to be, you hand me back the reins and let me deal with it. And then if if I mess up, then I want you to come back and fix it again. God doesn't sign up for that, folks. That's not how God operates. God's not operating in your life like that. If you think you've somehow cracked the code or you've figured out the way to trick God into getting your way, you are deceived today. I haven't come here to be, to be strong. I haven't come here to beat anybody up. I've come here to anybody. Come here to help somebody go. There's something waiting for you that's going to absolutely be the greatest thing of your life. But you're not going to get there just simply because God decides to bless you. You want to be blessed? There's some things that come with blessing. Who's going to be in control of your life? Whose branch are you going to be? What, what vine are you going to be connected to? Who's the vine dresser? You know what? I do believe in the blessings of God. Man, I could tell you some stories about the blessings of God that are coming in people's lives in this place today. I'm not talking about blessings of God where we're just like, Ooh, I'm blessed. I'm talking about legit blessings. But every one of those people would tell you that the blessings came when they finally gave up control. We want the blessings, we want them our way. We want the blessings, but we want to dictate when they come, how they come, where they come. I could tell some stories today that would be like, oh, I mean, most of them, I, well, let me back it up. I'd tell you some stories today that probably most of you wouldn't even believe. I'd tell you some stories about the blessings and the provisions of God that most of you'd go, I don't know if that's, I don't care if I brought you bank statements and, Contracts and all that laid in front of you, you'd be like, eh, I don't know. Sounds too good to be true. Unfortunately, Walt Disney has done more to desensitize us than anybody because we think everything is sort of fairy tale, make believe. And we realize that there's real stuff happening, God's doing real things. But the problem is, every one of those people would tell you there's one common thread they weren't in control. Only you can answer this question today. Only you know the question. But here's the, here's the crux, and i finish with this today. Danny Simpson lived in Ottawa, Canada. The year was 1990, and uh, Danny was desperate. He didn't have any resources that he needed to survive, short on cash and even shorter on skills. And in the end, he had run out of time and options. So Danny decided the only option he had left was to take the gun that had been handed down throughout his family's history. He went to the bank, robbed it for $6,000. He wasn't very good at robbing banks and immediately was arrested. But at the trial two very significant things happened. First, Danny was sentenced to six years in prison and his opportunity for success dropped to minute proportions. But the second thing that happened in the courtroom was that people began to examine the weapon used for this holdup. Come to find out that this weapon was a forty-five caliber Colt semi-automatic. It was the kind of gun that gun collectors would be salivating to own. It was an antique. It was made by the Ross Rifle Company in 1918. And the value of the gun was over $100,000. In the end, Danny robbed a bank for six thousand, holding a gun worth a hundred thousand. How many of us are chasing six thousand dollar items of life when we're holding priceless treasures inside? Jacob said to Esau, You fool, fool, you traded your birthright for just a moment of soup. How many of us, when we get to the courtroom of heaven, we're going to be left being sentenced to eternity and punishment? because we decided to steal $6,000 because we didn't realize of the priceless treasures that are inside of us how many of you are spending hours, days weeks, months or even lifelong pursuits chasing momentary satisfactions to the neglect? of the priceless treasure that's inside of each and every one of you. I can't tell you how many times in my life that I have done things out of selfishness, stupidity and ultimately just my own stinking will where I forfeited the right to priceless treasures for just a handful of coins you know it really is sort of simple today I um, I'd never had an eye exam in my life didn't think I ever needed one I remember as a kid we'd go to the doctor I think they even brought it to school and You'd read this chart, and I thought I always did pretty good. Never thought I had eye problems. Six months ago, I started noticing my right eye. I guess I was paying attention more. I'd tell my wife, I'd close my left eye, look my right eye, say, you know, Kate, looks like there's some blurriness out there. Can Can you verify? And she goes, I don't really see. I'm like, okay, well. So I lived with that for a while, and I noticed it was starting to get worse at night. And I lay in the bed, and um, I would look at the TV, or I'd you know there would be TV on in the room, in the living room, whatever. And I would ask my wife, "Can you read those words at the bottom of the screen?" She said, "Yes." Yeah. I'm like, Whoa. so I started having some dryness in my eye with the winter time coming, and I was having an itching problem, and I I was starting to really have burning in my eye. My wife said, "Why don't you just go get doctor check your eye out?" And then. See, see what he says. I went and looked at the doctor. He, uh, he was treating me for the burning in the eye, and he said, "You ever had an eye exam?" I said, "No, I got good vision." So, said, let's try. So I'm like, cover your left eye read the chart. I'm like, you know, the first line is always easy. It's like you know X Y Z B R, and then the next line was like A. Are you guys using emojis now for eye exams? Because that sure does look like the emoji with the smiley face and the hands going like this. Is that possible? And that looks like the monkey, the see no monkey. Am I right? And they're like, okay, all right. (laughs) So I go back the next time and the doctor, I do the full test, never had my eyes dilated. I mean, none of that had my eyes dilated. And the doctor says, you're not too far off. Me having to write you a deal that says you're gonna to have to have glasses when you drive. I'm like, What? I'm not, I can see. So finally I got the prescription, went down. My wife picked me out these glasses. I told her, I said, I have no idea this is a new world for me. So she helped navigate the world for me. And she helped me get my glasses. So I went last week, got my glasses, and I remember I put them on and I went, sweet Lord Jesus. <laughs> I didn't realize that's what the world was supposed to look like I didn't realize and so all week I've been doing this looking at trees going what is that that's got branches hey Kate it's got leaves and you know what That's what happens when we hear the word of God. We think we see something the way it is, but then the word of God comes and says, yeah, let me show you the clarity of what really is. You know what? Today, I'm talking to some people that I'm saying, give up control. And you're looking at me like this and going, but I I have given up control. But if you would let the Holy Ghost go, no, look at it this way. You go, ooh. Maybe I haven't given up as much control as I realized. You can either listen to me like this. Sister Benita, I see you back there, but I know it's you because I saw you like this, but I couldn't tell you it was you. You're back there. You're... I always thought that was the way it's supposed to be. But now I can see. So you can sit here and argue with me all you want. But I am. I'm not. I've given up control. I'm here on Sunday morning. Look, I mean, I I love my Jesus. But if you would let the Holy Ghost today put some clarity in your life, and let you see that there is some things maybe aren't quite as clear as you think they are. Who's in control? And control in God's world is not in control for punishment. Control in God's world is to maximize your potential. Let's get that straight here today. When I talk about God being in control, there's such a weight that comes. And one of the most frustrating moments of my life was I finally realized, giving up control, how awesome it was. And then I was so mad at myself and so mad at the devil because he had tricked me into believing that A, it was so hard and B, if I gave up control. I mean, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm being honest with you. I had the mentality that if I gave up control for God that pretty much my life would just be sort of like, what's wrong with you? Nothing. Well, why are you? I gave up control to God and my life is terrible. But I'm spiritual because I've given up I honestly thought that I thought giving up control to God would be man give up control to God what if he has I mean giving up control to God is that's that's a big risk but then you know what you get beat down far enough you get enough stuff in your life that's just going. Crazy. After a while, you just kind of get to the point where, you know what? Can't really get any worse. Let's try Jesus. Wish it could be more spiritual than that, but really, what it is, right? Well, I can't really mess it up anymore, so why do you think God brings you to those places? The worst thing God can do is bless your efforts. Because every time he blessed your efforts. Makes you feel like you got this. But when it finally come to the end. And gave God the opportunity. And gave up control. And then God absolutely. Just blew me away. At what he could do. How he could do it. And how happy you could be. In him. How satisfying. How much peace and contentment. And I sit here today stand here today, lean here today, whatever I'm doing. And I can honestly say with a true and straight face that I could not imagine my life being any better than it is right now. Not because it's perfect. Not because somehow I've got no problems. But because He has shown over and over again what He will do if I just get out of the way. And I've shown over and over again what I can do when I try to be in control. There's an old song used to come on the radio. It still comes on there again. And I I used to sing it, but now I got to sing it. I'm thinking, ooh, this is actually not that good of a song. Sounded good. A song that says... Some of you will know not know it, but some of you gonna know it. Says, "Gonna clean up mm-hmm, what I messed up. Oh, I started my life over again. Woo! I'm gonna clean up." That's the song. So I come to church Sunday morning, eighty-eight point nine, WHUR, Howard University Radio, Sunday morning praise, and I'm singing, "Gonna clean up what I messed up." But wait a minute. It hit me. That's my problem. I'm trying to clean up what I messed up. First of all, I messed it up. How can I clean up what I messed up? And then the worst part about it is... And I'm not knocking the can spirituals. God bless them. They keep singing for Jesus. But the problem with it is it sounds good, but it's not very spiritual and not very biblical because that's the way we live. We're cleaning up what we messed up so we can start over again to mess it up again, to clean it up again. And that's the way we live our lives. And that's the theme song of most of us. Clean up what I messed up. Starting my life over again. Come Sunday, I gotta get, I gotta get there Sunday, cause I made a mess of it this week. Clean up what I messed up. Gonna try next week to do it again. Next Sunday, gonna clean up what I messed up. Gonna start my life over. Next Sunday, clean up. That's the way we live! Because we are the ones messing it up, and we're the ones trying to clean it up, instead of saying, God, I'm tired, I'm messing it up, and I can't clean it up, so I need your blood! And you know what's awesome? So awesome about God. He's so loving, so kind, so gentle, so long-suffering. He keeps forgiving me, even though he knows I'm going to keep trying to do it my way. He keeps forgiving me, knowing that if he just sticks with me, eventually I'm going to come to the point where I say, I am tired of picking myself up only to get knocked back down again. And I'm finally going to get on the cross and say, okay, God, I give up. And he's going to go, yes been trying to get you there all along. Trying to get you there the whole time. Why? Well, feel it. When you talk about stuff like this and I'm, I'm done. When you talk about stuff like this it's so wild to feel the room. Because there's this internal struggle in so many of us. Part of our spirits are going yes! But that little voice is going no! 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 And the question comes down to: Who's going to win? Who's going to win in your life? you going to give up control. Are you going to get connected to the vine? Are you going to be connected? Why do I need to do all this? It's very simple, folks. It's easy, so that you can bear fruit. Not so you can be punished. Not so you can walk around with a frown on your face, depressed, miserable because you've given up. No, because God wants to maximize the amount of fruit he can produce in your life. Because there's a world out there looking for fruit bearers. But to be a fruit bearer, you've got to give up control. Not my will, but thine be done. Jesus was the greatest fruit bearer of all time when he finally hung on a tree and gave his life for you and me. But even the greatest fruit bearer had to give up control of his life. Do you think that the man Christ Jesus, who was perfect and sinless, had to give up his control of his life and somehow you and I are going to get around that? I know it's heavy in here. It's supposed to be heavy because it should be heavy. But here's the point. We can shout and dance, but giving up control is what leads to shouting and dancing. That's why we've shouted and danced for years and never, never amounted to anything. It feels good in the moment, but it doesn't ever... You dance and shout Sunday and when you wake up Monday, you're like, what was that all about? Shouting and dancing alone doesn't put God in control. I'm not. I can shout and dance, it, but it's when you can shout and dance because you've given up control. He's turned my morning mm, 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 into dancing because I've given him my morning, and therefore he's given me dancing. I've given up a control. Not my will, but thine be done. Not my will. Guess what? Can I? Can I be totally? I'm just going to try to put a positive spin on this at the end here because I think some of you, I'm losing some of you because you're going, oh, I don't know if I can do that. Do you know God knows exactly what you want? He knows the desires of your heart when you don't even know it. And guess what? When you give control to God, He not only gives you what you want, He gives you what you didn't even realize you wanted. And so, when you give up control to Him, not only does he make you happy, but he makes you happier than you could ever imagine. Because his happiness is not based on the moment and the, 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 the emotional moment. But it's based off what's really in your heart. And he knows your heart. And when you give up control to God, you talk about being happy. But you know what? I wish I could tell you this was easy. We're condensing this in about 40 minutes. But this is not easy. But I believe some of you, you're at the point now where you're tired and sick and tired of where you are. Some of you are not there yet. Some of you, you've checked out on me. You haven't learned yet, so you keep cleaning up what you messed up. I'm sure somewhere down the road we'll preach this again, and you'll, you'll hear it down the road. But you're just going to walk out there going, yeah, I can see. I don't know what the big deal is, okay? I can see. Some of you, though, today God's going, let me just, let me just show you something seeing something it comes down to what? who's in control who's the owner of your vineyard would you take a moment bow your head right where you are and just in this moment who's the owner of your vineyard who's in control of your life in this moment of self reflection only you can answer this question in this moment of self reflection who is the owner of your vineyard. Are you a plant trying to tell the farmer how to farm his field? Are you the farmer and Jesus the plant? Who's, you can't have both. Either you're the plant and he's the farmer or he's the plant and you're the farmer. And he doesn't play that. That's not a game he's willing to play. So you've got a choice today. Be the plant and let him be the farmer. And you know what? Stop stressing out. Stop living under pressure because no plant lives under pressure. No plants live stressed out because it's not the job of the plant to produce fruit. It's the job of the farmer to make sure the plant can produce fruit. It's not the job of the plant to have peace. It's the job of the farmer to make sure the plant can have peace. It's not the job of the plant to get water. It's the job of the farmer to make sure plants get water. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7. He said take no thought what you shall drink, what you shall eat, where you're going to lay your head. Don't worry about all this stuff because you've got a farmer that's got your back. If you're worried about what you're going to do, pay your bills, where you're going to work, what about this? If you've got any kind of worry, stress, doubt in your life, there's one reason for that. I know you don't want to hear that. There's one reason. You're in control. You're in control. There's an old song we used to sing says give up. And let Jesus take over. Give up and let Jesus take over. I don't want to do this today to single anybody out. That's not the point. But I feel like in moments like this. That some have come to the point of desperation. You're willing to do whatever it takes. But I believe somebody needs to respond to the Holy Ghost right now. You need to get out of your seat and as a sign to God that you're, you mean what you say. Everybody can say, I'll give up control. But is there any Abrahams today that you are willing to lift your knife above your eyes? that can say, God, I'm willing to go as far as it can to give you control. Somebody needs to get out of the seat. Come stand down here, lift your hands to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm giving up control. You don't have to get down on your knees. We're not begging God. You're just telling God with your actions what you're saying in your heart. Come on. Somebody needs to give up control. Give up. Who's in control? Give up and let Jesus take over. Stop trying to clean up what you messed up. And give up control. If he wants to clean it up, he'll clean it up. But you know what? You might give God lemons, he might make lemonade. It's not your job to tell God what to do. Stop trying to clean up your lemons. Give God lemons, he might make lemonade. But that's not the point. The point is this it's him, he's in control. In the name of Jesus. Just for a moment, can we make this entire place a place of prayer? Can all of us pray for a moment? Even if you're not down front, I believe every person in this room needs to take a moment of prayer in your life and say, God, I want to give up today. And be honest with God. Say, God, I don't know how to do it. You can tell God that. He's cool with that. He's not going to judge you. Tell God. Say, God, I know what you're telling me today. I don't know how to do it, but I'm willing to do it if you show me the way. Tell God that. Tell God. Say, God, I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. All I know is, you're telling me I need to give up control. I'm willing to do that. But Lord, show me the way. Show me the way. Because you know what? I can't tell you how to give up control in your life. Because I, and God alone only knows where the control lies in your life. So the question is not Okay, preacher, tell me what to do. The question now is simply this. You need to ask God. God, I'm willing to give up control. Now what? What do you want from me? Give him a blank check. Stop giving God checks that are already filled out with the price and the memo. Just say, God, here's the bank account. Here's my check. You can empty out my bank account if you want. I'm giving you a blank check. You know what? God's not going to ask you for a million dollar check when you only got ten bucks in your bank account, but He may ask for all ten bucks. Give Him a blank check today. Come on. Somebody needs to give God a blank check. Say, God, I'm not going to dictate to you how much, when, where, or how. I'm just going to give you a blank check. Yes, how oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. There's such a beautiful, tender spirit of the Lord. There's no judgment in here. There's no condemnation in this place. There's simply the love of a father that's saying, Would you let me help you? But I'm not going to fight you for control. You've got to give it up. It's like, a, it's like a parent to a toddler saying, I'm not going to sit here and argue with you. I know what's best. I know what's best. Oh, come on, that's it. Can we just be sensitive to the spirit for a moment? Come on, we have another moment. We don't have to start breaking down yet. Don't worry, it'll be okay. We're not going anywhere. Can you just be sensitive to those around you for a second? And let's just pray in this place for another moment. I don't believe we can leave right now that the Holy Ghost is working. Can you be sensitive to those around you? Let the Lord lead you. Let's minister one to another for a moment. power of God is moving in this place power of the Holy Ghost is speaking God is speaking
1: God is speaking Oh Jesus Jesus <laughs> oh jesus jesus jesus
2: jesus 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 jesus
0: oh jesus oh i feel the holy ghost come on i feel the holy ghost come on can you just surrender to him right now surrender your will your way your plan
1: we surrender to you today jesus
0: Today would you sing it? I surrender
2: I surrender all. Say it now. I surrender all I surrender all to you, Jesus.
0: I thank you for your patience, your long-suffering to us. Even when our stubborn and our will fights against you, thank you for your grace and your mercy that you reach beyond our will to touch our hearts. I pray in Jesus' name today, Lord, by your grace and your mercy, that you would give us the grace to surrender to you, that you would give us the grace... To give up control to you, that we would be connected to the vine, that we would bear fruit, that we would bear fruit in your, in our lives, that we would be fruit bearers because we're connected to you. We're connected. We may be crooked, but we're connected. We're not buckets. We're hoses connected to you. Yes, we're crooked, but we're connected because you are our father. You are the vine dresser trust you we give you praise we give you glory we give you honor let's just give god thanks one more time can we do that praise god praise god praise god amen the lord bless you would you help us please to break down this morning shake somebody's hands go to small group let's continue to walk with jesus amen